I have actually heard nonprofits say these things. Volunteers are the worst. You can't rely on them. They need to be so carefully managed. Who's going to do that? It takes too long to get them up to speed. Might as well do it myself. Really? Imagine being a part of a for-profit company and having folks who are really anxious to help you just, well, just because. Not even asking to be paid. They just want to help because they believe in your product. If you were the CEO of a company like that, you might plots, which, by the way, is a, a technical term. It's, uh, it's Yiddish. Think faint. This is another part of the special sauce of the nonprofit sector. People want to get involved because they want to make a difference, because they believe in your cause. What an incredible asset for you as a nonprofit leader. But do leaders approach the opportunity that comes with volunteers for, with enthusiasm? Are they clear about what they need from volunteers? Do they appreciate them? Do they take the time to tell them how their often seemingly minor role is actually quite a big one? I'm thinking not so much. Is it a lack of time to invest in getting it right? Is a nonprofit leader a control freak? Could both of the above be true? It is time to get it right. Listen up. You will never be able to hire all the resources you need to get your remarkable work done. There's just always too much to do and too few hands. And there are more hands out there now than ever before anxious to be of service. Our polarized world is leading people to be hungry to do something. Today, we're going to talk about extra hands with a guest who is all about volunteers all the time. She's all about the hands that are raised because missions matter to people. You want to raise your hand if you're anxious to hear more? Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab gets it. She is here to help. Toby Johnson is an internationally sought-after expert, consultant, and master trainer in volunteer engagement. She's known for her modern thought leadership, highly practical, evidence-based strategies, and innovative big-hat thinking around engaging, supporting, and acknowledging the work of volunteers. She's the president of Toby Johnson Associates, a consulting firm whose mission is to help nonprofit organizations make connections with remarkable volunteers. And in 2015, she founded Volunteer Pro, an online training and networking community for leaders of volunteers. Her resources go on for days. Toby has over 30 years of direct experience in nonprofit management, program development, program coordination, training delivery, and learning design in the social sector. She wrote the first chapter of a, of a book called Volunteer Engagement 2.0, Ideas and Insights for Transforming Volunteer Programs in a Changing World, published in 2015. She is a native of the Pacific Northwest, now hails from just outside of Knoxville at the foot of the Smoky Mountains. She is a graduate of the University of Washington, has a master's degree from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and she lives in the foot of the hills of the Smoky Mountains with her husband and her feline office assistant, Bailey. Uh, Toby, it's really, really nice to have you. Oh, thanks, Joan, for having me. I'm so pleased to be here. So first off, volunteerism is the sole focus of your business, right? Could have picked any other kind of focus. Um, tell me what you love about volunteers. Wow, there are so many reasons, but let me just tell you two. 
Um, first, my first experience in the nonprofit sector was as a volunteer. And I worked in the sector for 20 years and now have been consulting for 10. So I've stuck with it my entire career. It's something that I love. It's a type of work that I feel I'm called to do. And I had my first experience as an unpaid intern with the Seattle Arts Commission. It was between undergrad and grad school. And I was trying to get some experience because I knew I was headed towards the nonprofit art sector after graduate school. So I worked in their public art gallery and I had zero money. This was summertime. I worked there full time. I didn't get paid and I couldn't really have another job except a little bit at nighttime. So I would... I was totally starving student, rode my rickety old bike to, <laughs> to volunteer. I scrounged change together to buy a hot dog for lunch every day. Uh, I was in the bowels of the Seattle um, Center. And um, I really enjoyed it, but it was a sacrifice. Um, it was a sacrifice of my time. I had no money. I mean, it was, it was rough. So I know that other volunteers also make sacrifices to volunteer, whether it's, you know, a sacrifice of time away from family, whether it's a yep. sacrifice of, um, you know, cash they have to spend, getting childcare or transportation or rearranging <laughs> their work schedule or whatever it is. So there's a lot of sacrifice that goes on in volunteering that I really admire. And this sacrifice is more than just pulling out your checkbook to write a check, which is also great. I'm not saying that's not great. And I right. do that as well. But I've volunteered and been, you know, a board member, an intern, a volunteer, as well as nonprofit staff my whole life. So I have a lot of admiration for volunteers. The second reason I really love volunteerism is because I believe it is not only noble, I believe it is absolutely necessary for our world, especially today, in today's world. I think everybody can agree we live in a pretty polarized world right now. But what if volunteerism was the key to saving our world? Right. When people volunteer, they come into contact with people they wouldn't normally come into contact with. And when we're at odds with one another, it's usually due to some type of assumption or bias of, on the other side, of the people on the other side. So when we volunteer, we start to exercise that muscle of, wow, our assumptions are being challenged. Either it's the people we're serving, the people we're serving with, or the partners, the environments, whatever, we always learn something and we become a better version of ourselves. So that's why I think in today's world, especially, I just think it's so important for people to get out there and I'm so glad they are doing it. I, I, I love both of those reasons. One thing that you also said that really struck me is that you talked about is work that you feel you are called to do. And it's really interesting because... <clears throat> Um, I feel that way about m my work as well in this sort of effort to sort of help the helpers. And um, I've, I've been thinking a lot about folks like you and me and other people in this space who, who feel kind of called to help the helpers and how we too can run ourselves into the ground, can't we? <laughs> Yes, we can. But you know, I, I I just find this like endless, I don't know where the resilience comes from. Of course, I have to bring strategies, you know, I meditate every morning. There's all kinds of things I do to keep myself going. But you know, throughout my career, my mom used to say, look, you could go work in the corporate world and make a lot more money. 
And every time I would go online, you know, I would do career, you know, I would do not career changes, but job changes. And I would look at these corporate jobs and I would just be like, this is, this would be, I would be dead here. I'd be dead here. I, I must say in the sector. And I ended up working in nonprofits, federal government. I was contracting in federal government. I worked in the state government. So I worked in like a lot of variety of environments. And those all worked for me because we were serving the common good. You know, I started out as a punk rocker. <laughs> <laughs> in the, you know, the eighties, I'm not, and that punk rock soul is still there and wants to make change happen. So this is a great place to do it. Well, and I, um, you know, I can, I can only imagine that, that, um, I would give my ITs to have you volunteer for my nonprofit because you are just actually <laughs> filled with such a, a light and an energy and, um, and an Aww. enthusiasm about this work. So, um, uh, and I think that that's part of, uh, as we get further in this conversation is part of what nonprofit leaders really need to do is they actually need to ignite that in their volunteers, but you come hardwired that way, which is lovely. So, um, Aww. so Toby, it's not just simply, you know, the, the old world was, you know, ah, let's get some people in to help us stuff envelopes or put program books on gala chairs. Um, mm, and, yes. um, you know, volunteers have an impact well beyond what actual hands-on work they do, right? So, they, uh, so let's not talk to just about what they do, but sort of the broader impact that volunteers have on an organization, because um, you, you have a lot of things to say about that. Share some of those, because they're really quite, quite good. Oh, yeah. There's so much. I really believe that volunteerism is vital, and I mean really vital to organizational and community sustainability. I mean, I already talked about breaking down the barriers between right. us and them, right? But we also know recent research has shown us that the investment in volunteers has concrete rewards for organizations, communities, and volunteers themselves. Volunteers get something from volunteering, and we can talk about that later if you want. But we, the most recent Volunteering in America study showed that volunteers donate two times more than non-volunteers. Let me repeat that. Yeah, really. <laughs> Volunteers donate two times more than non-volunteers, all right? They also invest in community building at three times the rate of non-volunteers. Uh, they also belong to a group organization association at five times the rate of non-volunteers. They have 27% higher likelihood of finding a job out of being out of work than non-volunteers. And this has been checked against gender, <laughs> age, ethnicity, geographic area, even the job market. And so there are huge boosts to volunteering. There's more than this, but this, these are some of the key takeaways. So, you know, the good news is that volunteerism, this report also showed that volunteerism was on the rise. You know, we had about a decade of just flatlining volunteer involvement. Well, nonprofits, the number of nonprofits in our communities has grown by 20, 25%. I mean, they're just, it's just a booming um, part of our economy. And I, I believe it is a part of our economy. It is. Um, yeah. So it surged up to, it surged up 6%. Nowadays, one in three adults volunteer. And, you know, young people are involved in volunteering now more than ever in terms of service learning. My niece is in her key club at her high school. She's the president of her key club. She's a teenager who told me at age 16, I interviewed her for my blog, and she told me at age 16, her and her, her cousin, 
like, I said, what do you want volunteer organizations to know about you? She said, they, they need to know that I've been volunteering since I was five years old as a brownie. I love that. <laughs> that's a, but that's actually true. So we are growing. We are growing in our communities the next wave of volunteers. So we've got to keep them. It, it's, I, I've, I fear that, that I'm fearing right now that there's Aww. someone, no, here's why there's someone driving, listening to this podcast and they heard those <laughs> statistics and I fear that they may have driven off out of their lane. <laughs> so please can, can anyone who's listening and in their cars, please just, just pay attention to the road and <clears throat> be an active listener. But yes, volunteers do more. They give more. It's a, yes. it's, that's a big headline, a big takeaway. It's a big aha. Um, we, we opened the podcast talking about the sort of the skepticism that we hear from nonprofit leaders about volunteers. And, and I, I wondered if you might um, talk a little bit of, about what people share as their number one challenge when it comes to volunteers. And you've been in this sector for a long time. Are the challenges the same today as they were a few years back? So the number one challenge when it comes to volunteers today, and has that shifted over time? Sure, sure. Well, as a helper of helpers like you, I love to know what my audience is thinking and experiencing so we can create the best content that will help them, you know, address their problems. So we do what's called the Volunteer Management Progress Report. And it's an industry report. We do it every year. This fall, we're going to be releasing our fifth annual survey. It is super fun. We get about 1,600 respondents every year from about 14 countries last year. So it's global. It's super exciting. And we have found, we ask this number one biggest challenge question every year and we compare over time. And I a few things and I'll tell you the top one. I'm not going to give that one away first. I'm going to stop, start at the bottom. Time management. I'm going to give you five. The bottom one is time management, managing, competing, and multiple priorities. Not a surprise because most people who lead volunteers do 50 million other jobs too. Usually they get tapped on. I have a member in my community who is the administrative assistant and receptionist, and she's been tapped to be the volunteer coordinator. And I tell her, girl, you can do it, but you've got to jealously guard your time. Yep. Uh, Yep. Second one is roles and matching, designing roles and matching volunteers and organizations needs. So getting, getting the right people in the right job at the right time. That's a, that's a perennial talent management problem. It happens in business as well. So it's not surprising. Any type of human resources management, this is a, is an issue. You know, it's funny, just really quickly before you go on to the next one, talent management, that's what this is, right? This yes. is, right? This is, you know, I opened by talking about extra hands, right? It's not yep. about, ju- uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll take it back. It's not just about extra hands. It's about skills, mm-hmm. capacity, expertise, right? Background, yes. just like talent uh, recruitment. Anyway, go ahead. Yes, please, please, absolutely. please carry on, carry on, Toby. Yeah. Thank you for pinpointing that. And we'll talk, we can talk more about that later, but okay. Top three, number three, going upwards, uh, going bottom to top retention, 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 retention. Now this is one that's changed a lot over the past four years. Last in the first year in 2016, when we started this survey, it was at 6% of the folks who who completed this open-ended question. We let people write in whatever they want and we encourage them to write as much as they can. It is sometimes heartbreaking 
to read through these answers. And when I have uh, my staff, I have my staff read through these when they join me so they understand our community. And I'll tell them, do not get discouraged by reading these answers because we are providing solutions. So these are, we've asked people to share their challenges, not their successes right now. So don't let it get you down. So retention has gone from 6% in 2018, it went up to to 13% of the folks that mentioned it, mentioned retention. It's gone back down to about 9%, but it's on the rise. And I hear this anecdotally from the folks that I, I support and serve that, um, there, it is getting harder to find and keep volunteers engaged, particularly over longer periods of service. You can get somebody in for a day of service or a short gig, but really for that extended period of service, which a lot of organizations really rely on because it takes a long time to get somebody up to speed in mm-hmm. some cases. You know, you, there is like, you learn a lot through volunteering at the organization, you know, and you don't want to lose folks after like, you know, a month. So retention's a big, biggie. Um, so I've been doing a lot of thinking around retention and how we need to change our thinking around it. The, the second to the top is respect and buy-in. Now, this is from coworkers and leadership, but also volunteers buying into and following guidelines. And so I think this respect and buy-in issue for leaders of volunteers is really about the ability to influence. And this is a leadership competency. Uh And you do leadership for a living. I mean, you live that 24-7. So I'm sure you hear this from other people. You know, how do I inspire others? How do I get people to follow through? How do I uh, share my vision? And how do I manage change? Change management is huge Mm -hmm. in this field right now. Yeah. So number one, drum roll, please. Okay. (laughs) If I had a drum. (laughs) Volunteer recruitment. Recruitment, 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 recruitment. Did I say recruitment? I think you said recruitment. I'm I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) So finding the right volunteers for specific needs and roles, always the perennial favorite, but also a problem that's on the rise. It's up 8% from four years ago. So uh, in 2016, one out of every four survey respondents said volunteer recruitment. In 2019, 33%, one out of three. And so we are not reaching those folks who so desperately want to help us. They are out there. They want to help, but they don't know we need them. Uh, this is, I, I, I can't, I can't even. I mean, I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, we live in a world, I say this all the time, we live in this world where there's like all these people, because of the way our world is today, all these people who are anxious, they're, they're anxious to be engaged citizens. <sighs> Oh. You know, regardless of what side of the aisle, it doesn't even matter, right? It doesn't matter. We have a, a highly engaged citizenry and they're sitting in those stands. And um, and it is up to those folks who are on the field to invite them to, to come join them, right? And so uh, I just think we have a lot of people in the stands. So uh, um, very interesting statistics. Why don't give me some, I'm an executive director and I, what have you seen? Help me with this. What have you seen as some of the strategies that have been successful in bringing in a, a, a good pool of prospective volunteers? Okay. For this question, I want to answer in two ways. In one okay. way, I want to cover just the basics because sometimes I think people are just like, they're just like, where do I start? 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. We've been p- posting stuff. We put stuff on our website. We send out around a sign-in sheet. Nobody signs up. And I'm like, well, you got to think, you got to have a framework to think about this. So first I want to talk about that. Then I just want to say a few words about digital. Like you've got to be on people's phones. Right. Feel me? Okay. So let's start <laughs> with <laughs> like, y'all need to be on people's phones. I live in the South now. So I say y'all. Um, they didn't but, say so, that in the Pacific Northwest, did they? <laughs> no, they didn't. As my dad says, we are we are Swedish and uh, we're we are cold fish in the Northwest. We don't say things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about recruiting volunteers. So there are four basic ways to recruit volunteers, and folks should, should choose more than one. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, okay? And I prioritize these from the most effective to the least effective. So I'm going to start with the most effective. And I'm sorry, it is not posting on your website. That is not the most effective. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm like playing family feud with you, uh, Toby. (laughs) Survey says... uh, Survey says personal (laughs) networking is number one. Number one. (laughs) (laughs) So online and in person. So making direct direct asks. This should not surprise people. You know, it's word of mouth marketing, y'all. So we also know from research that when volunteers recruit other volunteers, they actually stay longer. So if you've got a retention problem, if you can recruit a core, a train a core of volunteers asking other volunteers, you're going to even do better with your recruitment. So, you know, here's an example of what I did to personally network once when I ran a volunteer program. So I ran a volunteer program. Well, I ran a program. I built an employment and training program for Larkin Street Youth Center in San Francisco. Okay. They serve homeless youth. And I had some young people who had completed my um, employment and training, my job readiness course, and we had placed them in jobs and they were living in our transitional living facility, doing fantastic. But they needed mentors for ongoing questions, concerns, you know, navigating the world as, as a working adult or young adult. And so I worked with the San Francisco Bar Association and found mentors. Um, So I had to make personal asks. So they told me they were interested. So I started setting up individual meetings with each person who wanted to mentor. And first of all, to assess whether or not they're appropriate for mentoring, but also to start to really um, make those connections. Why'd you, pick the, fan- why'd, why'd you pick the Bar Association? They actually reached out to our organization wanting to help, didn't know how to help, just wanted to help. Smart. And our executive director and all her wisdom at the time said, you know what, I've got just the program for you. And I said, <laughs> woohoo. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Um, and I don't know if the... the relationship is still there. But when I left, it still was. It was an education on both sides. It was fantastic. Okay. Second area, second way, second uh, strategy, special events. I think special events can be very, you know, they're great for fundraising. Why not people raising, you know? Love that. Talent raising, right? So trainings, luncheons, fundraising events, community fairs, other special events. I like to do what are called launch workshops or launch events where uh, I would set up, for example, at the same same organization, we set up a recruiting breakfast for potential employers and people who would be willing to be informational interview sites for our youth. 
So we did it a lot like you would do a donor cultivation event. Uh huh. Feel me? So yep. we would get a little bit of sponsorship. Yeah, we would bring people. Uh, we would invite. We would have our board help invite people for business people around the community. We had them come to a breakfast. We had a little, now I'm not big on giving away tchotchkes, but we did give away a little coffee mug. Um, and tchotchkes, some- tchotchkes is another technical term, by the way. Also, <laughs> also technical from the Yiddish. Ah, uh, yes, it is. And we got them, you know, and I may discuss the program. I had some young people come up and talk about their experiences and we made a pitch and we had people you know how you do at, at fundraising events where you ask people to, to, you know, hey, sign on the dotted line, make a pledge. Yep. We asked people to pledge to support us. And then I made photo, follow-up phone calls and went out and met with folks. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so I was able to get employers. We had even, I remember at the time, we had Macy's doing informational interviews like our, our Mac counter. We had some transgender youth in our program and they were really interested, you know, in, in makeup and all that. And I go, okay, well, let's figure out what the real world looks like. If you were to do makeup or be involved in the fashion industry, what would it feel like? I'm going to set you up with an informational interview with the Mac counter. How about that? So they went down to the Mac counter and, and did an info. Really, you know, learn the real deal. I had a ne- another young person who was really goth and they were really interested in like, um, you know, mortuary sciences. So there was a college of mortuary sciences in San Francisco. It's probably still there. Set up an informational interview. Said, you need to go down there and take a look and tell me what you think. And when he came back, I said, okay, so what do they wear when they're at work? Is it chains? Is it a lot of jewelry? Now I, I come from punk rock. So I know that, you know, I know what it's like to be your identity and live your identity. But you know, you got to compromise in the workplace a little bit or you're not going to get a job. Right. So <laughs> I, I, I think that when you mentioned mortuary sciences, again, people are having a hard time staying, keeping that car in the lane. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a, an overwhelming need on the part of a volunteer manager to be creative as hell, right? To yes. think outside the box. And yes. both of the things that you've done, being creative as hell and also this notion of these, these conversations what does it take that people feel like they don't have time, right? You, this yeah. was this was your job there, right? It wasn't something you did as like one piece of like fifteen jobs. Did I have that? Did I have that right? Well, I was also the program director. Aha! But we were a tiny team of three. Now okay. we were in a bigger organization, but we were a tiny team of three. I had someone who was doing GED prep. Yep. And working in our learning lab and getting set, kids set up to go to community college, okay, all levels of learning. And then I had another staffer who was doing our job readiness program, getting kids through that. So I was beating the street to set up these partnerships. So partnerships are key with special events and personal networking. But I'll give you another example. Let me give you an example. The third example is community presentations. Mm. So it doesn't matter what you're doing in the community as a presentation. You can put a PSA in your presentation, whatever you're doing. If you're doing an educational presentation, if your ED is doing a presentation to funders, whoever, put a slide in that says, hey, and by the way, we have got, we have right now some fantastic opportunities for people who want to support us. Now, it's not always the person you're presenting to that has the connection, but I always, when I do partnership meetings, I always ask, and who else do you think I should go talk to? 
Now right. this is time intensive, y'all. But even with educational presentations, I used to run a program for Medicare uh, beneficiaries where we had volunteers all over our state. I worked at a state agency where they were doing Medicare counseling one-on-one with people who were on Medicare. And Medicare is super complicated. These counselors went through 35 hours of training. It took them about six months to become fully competent in all aspects. We actually didn't even just do Medicare. We did Medicaid. We did private. We did we did all kinds of insurance. This was before the Affordable Care Act. So, um, and I had a volunteer who was really good at uh, recruiting others. And I and I asked, how do you do this? How do you, what do you do exactly? Because I want to train other people and I want to get other volunteers doing this. And he said, look, when we're presenting on, you know, uh, what to do when you're 65, they would do educational presentations of the community. They would scan the audience and anybody who was really interested sitting in forward on their seat, asking a lot of questions, sticking around afterwards, just really totally focused and interested on the topic they would, after the presentation, go over and start talking to them and go, you know, you know, you're so interested in this. You know, you would be a great counselor helping others. Are you interested? Smart, 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 smart. It starts with, it's just a conversation, right? It's not, it's not anything scary. It's just a conversation. They can say no. So what? There's, um, I just want to emphasize what you said about special events. I always think about special events and, and I, and people think of them as fundraisers and I always think about them as bait. <laughs> right? Is it that, that especially if you think of special event is over the night that when when you actually um, sit down and have a you know late night martini or something, you are so off the mark that you yeah. have just fired up. You've just fired up a whole room full of people, and in that yeah. room are potential donors. There are uh, potential upgrade to donors. There's board members. There's volunteers. There's new staff members. They're all just sitting there waiting for you to ask them afterwards. And uh, because if you do a special event right, they sort of run sort of metaphorically screaming from the room saying, oh my gosh, that organization is awesome. I'm so proud that I was a part of it and I wish there was something else I could do. Bingo. Yep, yep. You got to ride the wave of, you know, the good vibes that people are feeling, you know, just ride the wave. The thing is people really do want to help. They just don't know how. And, you know, if you, I like the flattery gets you everywhere approach, which is the approach you would use, you know, like, look, you know, you really, you know, and it's true. That person is really interested. Now, you know, people think they're asking, you know, the other thing, just as an aside, people separate all the time between donors and volunteers. Gang, Volunteers are donors and donors are volunteers. They, they go back and forth. They're both at the same time. You know, I, they're just not different populations of people. And we have this weird, you know, thing well, I, in think our head. That there, I actually think there's something else to that too, is that I think that we think about donors with, um, we give them. Uh, uh, they're higher up on the food chain, aren't they? Mm-hmm. That if you start to think about your volunteers as donors, then then your your retention strategy is a stewardship strategy. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so it is time for us not to think about volunteers as any kind of second-class citizen based simply on what Toby's been talking about here. Um, They are, um, first of all, nobody should have any second-class citizens in their organizations, if you ask me. Um, Anybody that gives anything is a first-class citizen, right? And um, but I do think that we um, <clears throat> we treat volunteers at, as lesser than at our own peril. Yeah. And y'all, you know what? Donors become volunteers. It goes both ways. Totally true. So we are um, having an, an enthusiastic conversation about volunteerism with Toby Johnson. Toby is a internationally sought after expert consultant and master trainer in volunteer engagement. She's the president of Toby Johnson and Associates, and her mission is to help nonprofit organizations make connections with remarkable volunteers. And she is the founder of Volunteer Pro, an online training and networking community for leaders of volunteers. I have a couple couple of questions. We have just about 10 more minutes. And I, um, okay. all, sure. I think there are already people, if they haven't, maybe they, by now they've pulled over to the side of the road so they can take notes. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so one of the things that I, I think about is, you know, organizations saying we need volunteers, right? We need volunteers. Uh, volunteers have needs too, don't they? And I think that this notion of recruitment and retention is a lot about meeting the needs of the volunteers to ignite the things that motivate them. And I know you have um, thoughts about what you see as key motivators. Sure, sure. And I'm going to do this a little bit quickly but I'll give you a resource at the end. You can go learn more about it. I was this. just going to say, look, consider this an appetizer from Toby Johnson, okay? <laughs> we have a ton of like stuff. But anyway, so I really focus, first of all, I believe that folks should be super strategic about their approach to volunteer engagement. Super strategic. I mean, if you're out there listening, raise your hand if you have extra time on your hands. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see any hands up. <laughs> I mean, do you have extra time to do, you know, to try stuff out, a bunch of stuff out? Maybe, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. No, we don't have time for that. So we need to be very strategic about our volunteer engagement. And so that means we need to focus on the needs of volunteers and then balance them with the needs of our organization. I always make recommendations. Well, not always. Some recommendations are based on my personal experience, years of it. But also, I like to make recommendations based on research. And there's a fantastic piece of research that was done by these researchers named Clary and Snyder about 20 years ago. It's called the Volunteer Functions Inventory. And the reason I like this piece of research is because it's been done over and over. It's been repeated. The study, the the model's been repeated, and it has always uh, come up the same. So it's it, they f- assume that people are purposeful, planful, and goal directed. Okay, so volunteers aren't random. They've got reasons. And so I was, I have a friend who used to do, I used to do boot camp, like fitness boot camp with. He, he led it. Robert, if you're out there, love you. He would say, everybody comes into your life for a reason or a season, right? Love and, that. you know, there it is. We want them to come into our life for a reason. So there are six motivations. And I won't drill down super deeply into these, but I want to touch on them really quickly. 
One is values. So people volunteer because it's a way to express their altruistic and humanitarian values. If you ask volunteers why they volunteer, this is the number one thing they will say because it is, it's sort of societally acceptable to give that answer. And it's something that drives a lot of us. It drives you and I, Joan, for sure. Yep. It's a value set that's been in us. You know, we probably got raised by our families, wherever it came from. I think it's my family, two matriarchs. Both of them were deep into community. So, yep. So next one is social, De- a, a way to deepen, develop and strengthen social ties. Now, not just socializing with other volunteers, but to look good to the people that we respect and love. So my grandmother used to volunteer all the time. If she was alive today, I would love to tell her, hey, I'm on a board right now. I'm volunteering. Let me tell you about it. I want her, I'm strengthening my tie with her because we have something in common and that is giving back. Third area is protective motives. And this is a really interesting area because volunteers won't really tell you about this one. It's a way that we protect the ego from the difficulties of life. So I'll give you an example because this one's tough to kind of wrap your head around. I had a volunteer, I worked with a volunteer on a volunteer advisory team. I was working with a consulting client. We were renovating their entire program. I always have a team of volunteers and staff driving me and and advising with me because I never want to, you know, good change management starts with input from the people it affects. And so um, he told me his story and he had started volunteering because his wife had passed away and he'd uh, fallen into a deep depression. And his son at some point said, okay, dad, you've got to get out of the house. What about the senior center down the street? Maybe they have some volunteer opportunities. Well, long story short, he ended up being volunteer of the year at the organization that I was consulting years later and told me this story. And it was so touching. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, lemons to lemonade right there. Yep. Right. So protective motives. Volunteers won't always tell you this. You know, this is a this is a kind of a you know thing. Anyway, understanding a way to gain knowledge, skills, and abilities. You'll find this I and I people will go, oh, that's the young people. And I'm like, oh, no, it isn't. Not necessarily. I pers right now I volunteer on a board with Master Gardeners in Knox County. And my most of the volunteers are retirees. And they love learning. We have a guest speaker every month. People are, we email each other. We have a newsletter that's chock and block full of gardening information. It doesn't matter what age you're at. People are longtime learners. They love that what they learn through volunteering. Yeah. Two more. Career, a way to improve career prospects. Now, this is your young people. These are your student volunteers, your interns, etc. They want to develop those stretch skills and, and facilitate. They want to network. They want to figure out what the nonprofit world is like. In fact, a lot of national service members like AmeriCorps, Vista, etc., they end up entering the volunteer world. I have members in my online community who started out as AmeriCorps, and now they're very accomplished volunteer managers and directors and and coordinators, etc. And then finally, enhancement. And you'll find the enhancement motive a lot with your board members. And if you're a board member who is listening, you're probably going to be like, wait a minute. But it's a way to help the ego grow and develop. So it's having leadership, developing ourselves as leaders, having real power, you know, making decisions, 
for some of us, you know, it's like getting to the top of that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, self-actualization. Yeah. Yep. This is a big, this is a big pet peeve of mine that we don't, in our sector, we don't talk often enough about what an incredible opportunity board service is. Just as a, oh. as a to, to, to stretch your ability and muscles to lead, to collaborate, to facilitate. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, it's, yeah. um, it, it's really quite something that I, and I just think a big fat missed opportunity. Yeah. So these give you ideas of what you can do to support volunteer needs around these. But the thing I would say about these not every team, and I'll, I'll run volunteer surveys for my clients to help them identify which one of these are the top ones for their team. You probably know if you've heard these, you're probably going, yep, that's my team. There's usually two to three that are top motivators. And you think about what you can do to support these motivators in training, in opportunities you offer, in the way you communicate with volunteers, the way you support them. Choose your top two or three and focus on those because your team is probably, and you can start to ask, of course, people won't go, I'm volunteering for protective motives. They're not going to tell you that. <laughs> but, you know, as I talk through these people probably went, aha, you know, and, and you can work from there and really get a lot of traction because you're really dealing with those deep underlying human motives. Absolutely. So I have, I guess, two questions we have time for. One is, okay. um, I want to talk about retention briefly. And I, you talked about digital, and I don't want to, I don't want to lose that thread. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and and it's possible they're connected. But I, um, what have you learned that works best? I mean, clearly the notion of understanding people's motivations is pretty core to retention, right? But yes. um, what do you, what have you learned that works really well in terms of retention strategies? And then let's spend a couple of minutes on um, on digital because you, sure. you wanted yes. to, and then we'll close oh, this out. Oh boy, I could talk to digital till the cows come home. <laughs> the, the cows are coming home in just a couple of minutes, Tubby. <laughs> okay, okay. So, all right, so. Here's a few motivators. I'm just going to give you some quick wins here. There is a massive amount of theory behind motivation or not only motivation, but retention. Um, but let me give you, first of all, there was a path, UK did a pathways through participation research and they found three reasons why people stop participating. This is all you need to know, y'all. Number one, a poor quality experience. <laughs> number two, a lack of resources. Or number three, a life event. Now, we cannot control life events. Right. Can't do it. People go to college. People take a job. People uh, move. They have a family. You, you, they have a baby, whatever. You can't control that. But we can certainly control the quality of the experience and the lack of resources for volunteers. So... When we think of that lack of resources, we also need to talk about, think about, and this study didn't really go into this, about our mindset and the mindset of our volunteers. And so one thing you can do to to boost that feeling of lack of resources, because, you know, let's face it, if you come from a corporate environment and you start working in a nonprofit, you're going to be like, wait, wait a minute, how come we don't have, a, a you know, this year's Mac book pro, right. you know? No, we have an old PC from 10 years ago. I'm sorry. That's all we got. You know, I'm hoping that's not the case, but sometimes it is. Um, So we want to really, to to boost that sense of gratitude, we want to catch volunteers doing things approximately right. Approximately right. I love to say that. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm sorry, but staff aren't perfect either. Why do we expect volunteers to be? Oh, let's needlepoint that on a pillow. (laughs) Please. You know, so, you know, positive reinforcement, it really does keep people coming back and offering authentic gratitude and praise, not about who people are, not their character, but what their effort or achievement is. Character is something that is immutable. It's not something people can change. I was born a talkaholic. I mean, when I was five years old, I talked too much. I still talk too much, right? Joan's like, yes, in this interview, you need to speed it up, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, but our effort and achievement is something we have a control over. So when people are praised for even making an effort, they're going to want to keep trying. So that's just human motivation 101, right? And so those are the kind of things, you know, when we think about volunteer retention, We've got to give people a great experience, something that's related to their motivation, something that they want to do. No voluntolding, gang. I hate when people, you know, I was on a board and I said, look, I'm willing to sit down with major donors face to face in their living room and make an ask. But I do not want to dial for dollars and do cold calling because number one, for me, I just don't believe in that. I believe Mm -hmm. that's not how you cultivate uh, relationships and long-term success around fundraising. I think it's a waste of time. Yep. I'm happy to do other things. If you prep me, I'll go and I'll make the ask and I'll make presentations and I'll go out in the community, whatever you want, but I don't want to do that. Well, what did they ask me to do? Mm? Dial for dollars. Dial for dollars. And what happened at the end of my term as a board member? You didn't renew. That's right. That's right. And they lost me. And you know, I've been on boards where I am like leading strategic planning efforts where, you know what? It would cost them an arm and a leg to hire a consultant to do this stuff. You know, so don't ask people to do things they don't want to do, period, period. So get to know it, you know, feel me? Uh, uh, Yep. Um, So uh, I um, I just want to add one thing, which is... um, so that we, I did a podcast with one of my dear, my dearest, oldest friends um, oh, called wow. from, from Kitchen Volunteer to Board Chair. And nice. we'll put a link to it below. But that's what it happened. She worked, worked with an organization called God's Love We Deliver. And in that, in that podcast episode, which would be a very nice compliment to this one, um, she talks about how, um, first of all, she's still, she's still friends with the people that she sliced and diced with Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. They've, I've sat at her wow. Passover table with them. Um, but one of the things that seemed really key was that um, the volunteer manager came down to the kitchen and updated the kitchen staff on, uh, on how things were going at the organization, what was new, what was, what was, you know, so that they really felt a greater sense of purpose in the slicing and dicing. Um, and, uh, and that's what led her out of the kitchen and to be a development volunteer. And she came up with an idea to sell uh, tiles in the kitchen, both for, um, you know, you know, to honor someone or to honor someone who had died at that time of AIDS, but largely, Mm. ultimately of, of chronic illnesses. And I'm telling you, she raised, I think it's like a half a million dollars and growing. And this is a woman who is neither well, you know, not wealthy, well, not wealth adjacent. She was, she was, she was, she's a really good, she's a really good cook. And I've been the beneficiary of that many times, but so anyway, Mm. just the, the, a lot of just to uh, listen to what Toby's talking about. These are re- important retention strategies. Let's go to the last lightning round question. Talk to me about digital. Oh, wow. Digital. Okay. I'm going to keep it short 
because this is like forming in my mind. It's been forming for a while, but it's really, I'm starting to think about what I call the volunteer UX. And if you're a digital person, you you know I'm talking about, but let me break it down. UX stands for user experience. So user experience can incorporate everything, any touch point a volunteer has with your organization, whether it's your website, it's at a presentation, it's you know, rubbing elbows with a, another volunteer at a cocktail party. It could be anywhere. It could be, it could be going on your website. It could be filling out your application form. It could be at your volunteer training. So UX expands all of that. But I really, the area that I have the deepest concern about our volunteer experience is in the area of digital. Last year in the volunteer management progress report, we asked questions about what type of software folks were using, how often they were reaching out to volunteers via social media, email, et cetera, et cetera. The usual marketing channels for any type of organization to reach into the community. And I found that our digital maturity was really, really, really low, like really low. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, where do people go? Just a normal person, they say, they they get in their head one day, you know what? I want to volunteer. I want to start volunteering. Where am I going to volunteer? Where do they go first? Where do they go? They go to Google. Yep. They go to Google. And they might do it on their phone when they're sitting watching their kid's baseball game. You know? You know what I mean? Like, they're going to be looking on this tiny screen, looking for scanning volunteers. You know, and we don't have any... A lot of our organizations don't have anything there. When I work with my clients, I'll do a little bit of an audit if I'm doing recruitment work with them. I'll do a little audit and I'll go look at their organizations. I did this for a big statewide organization. I went to like 10 different websites and none of them had a volunteer now button on their homepage. I'm like, hello, gang. Come on. (laughs) You know, and we have so many opportunities here, not only in recruitment, but in training, you know, online courses, you know, you and I run online communities, you can do a private Facebook group and start to bring in supporters, you need to create, you know, digital is about creating a solar system of people that are interested in your cause and they're psych- circling around and they're circling around. And s- at some point, your awesome gravity, the gravity, the gravitational pull of your cause is so compelling that they get pulled into your atmosphere and they say, yep, I'm going to either volunteer or I'm going to donate or I'm going to do both because you guys rock. I now know, like, and trust you yep. and I'm ready to roll. And I just think we're, we are we are still in this build it and they will come type of mentality. We're not paying attention to the experience of the people who are with us to keep them coming back. And we're not using the tools that are available. And many of them are free. It does take time though. And we've got to invest the time. We're we're thinking too short term. I think digital is a long game. Yep. When, when I started the volunteer pro community, I remember when I opened my doors and I, I, it was crickets. There was like nobody there. And I'm like, oh Lord, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. You know? <laughs> and then I said, no, because everything, you can figure out everything. I'm going to figure this one out too. So how do I get people in my doors? How do I get my community, build my community of um, folks that I can serve as a consultant, trainer, coach, et cetera. Yep. And 
I learn all about digital marketing. And so I am now teaching that to my folks because I'm like, gang, this is the world we live in. Don't put a poster up at the Safeway store, your grocery <laughs> store. You're not going to, no volunteer is going to see that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, you know, you're totally right. And I, I, I want to make sure we have enough time so that you can share some of where to, so that it's, you're so, 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 so right. We're losing people. We're actually losing people in terms of volunteers because they're spending so much time on their phones and their iPads and their laptops. Well, while they are there, could you please invite them to, to, to get in touch with you about the wonderful opportunity and privilege of service. It's that simple. So yeah. Toby, do me a favor, just before we go, um, talk a little bit about, um, this was a, uh, not just a podcast. It was a first rate masterclass on volunteerism. Aww. I'm so grateful. Thanks, Where will people find more of you? Okay. There's two places they can go depending on what they want and what, what can help them the best. So one way I encourage listeners to check out our essential guide to managing volunteers at your nonprofit. It's totally free and it is chock full. So go to volpro.net, V-O-L-P-R-O.net. And at the top of the website, there's a, a, a link called free guide. It's right there in the menu. It's, it's probably the best place you can go to continue to learn on what we've touched on today. Um, it's a great mix of theory and practical stuff. And there are tons, there's like eight chapters. You can download it as a PDF. And there are lots of freebies, like extra tools you can take to, to take it to the next level. So if you're piqued by what I've talked about today, it's a fantastic place to go and start to learn more. Because I'm, I'm way going beyond the old school volunteer management. That just doesn't work anymore. Nobody should be training on that. Let's, let's be done. I, I, right? I, don't, I don't think you had to say that. I think it was implicit in our conversation today. Just saying. Feel me? Well, I'm just encouraging. Feel, you, I'm just encouraging. You feel me, Toby? <laughs> I feel you, Joan. <laughs> You know, but I just want to encourage people. They still are holding on to something that they are like, just like, I, I want this to work. It's not going to work. Let's move on. You know, it, volunteer, uh, engaging volunteers is so much about like nowadays neuroscience and, you know, psychology of motivation and digital. There's just so much excitement or I get, I just get excited. Okay. Anyway, second place you can find me is if you are interested in having me come train your group or consulting or coaching, check out my consulting website, which is www.tobyjohnson.com. And we can talk more about how I can help you individually. But, you know, check out our essential guide at Volunteer Pro. Uh, we've got lots there. Our blog, we, we you know, like you, we're... we're um, adding content all the time. We're posting every week to our blog. We've got lots to share. I just want you all to feel like this is doable. This is doable. This is not impossible. This is not, I swear it's not impossible. I have been part of and am part of right now, very vibrant volunteer teams that are making things uh, better for the in the world, and they are out there. They want to connect with you, but you've got to have the right infrastructure structure and mentality and and you know mindset to make it work. The um, I really did. I meant what I said. Uh, this was not just a podcast, and I I am asking you to think about if you've just listened to this conversation about volunteerism, who is it? 
who else is there in your organization who should hear it? Right. Yes, I, thanks, right. Bro. Who else should hear it? What about, you know, I work with a bunch of independent schools, particularly Quaker schools, which are fun and oh. fun and kind of messy in their own way. And teachers get in-service days. They get in-service days. Well, why can't nonprofits have in-service days, right? Ooh, why not, nice. right? Why can't we have in-service days? And why can't, as part of an in-service day, you, um, uh, you know, have, have all of your staff, if you're lucky enough to have staff, listen to a podcast or read something and beforehand and then spend some of a day um, talking about the implications and what you are going to do differently as a result of what you read or listened to. And I can't think of a better um, place to start than this podcast. So Toby Johnson, thank you very, very much. And um, it was um, a joy and a pleasure. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Joy. <laughs> Joan. <laughs> That's right. You can call me Joy. Joy. Yeah. I'm feeling the joy, girl. Joan, just thanks a lot. I really well, appreciate uh, it. Well, thank you for what you do and for injecting such a such a joy and enthusiasm into your work. Uh, <laughs> so that's it for us today. We went a little bit long, but it was, for me, it was worth every second, and I hope the same is true for you. Uh, again, thanks for all that you do. Um, and Toby and I are part of an army of folks out there that are doing whatever we can to support your work because we know how much it matters. So thanks for your work, and we'll see you next time. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at JoanGary.com, reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary.